Hello there. Welcome to 1% Better. It's Friday and that's the day I release these episodes pretty much mostly. Uh, you might not be aware what day it is, what time it is, where you are, other than the fact that you're at home. But just to remind you, it's another week nearly over and hopefully that's another few days closer to getting into a rhythm or routine that you were used to before or close to it. Hopefully podcasts are still part of your routine, if not even more part of your routine now that we have a bit more time on our own, on our hands, potentially. And I hope you're enjoying these episodes. So this week's episode is a prelude, I suppose, to the Emotional Intelligence series that I'm going to be releasing in the next couple of weeks. That series, by the way, that I'm recording on for a long time now and have a lot of episodes ready to go. I've landed on a title. It's called, or I'm calling it, Me, Myself and EI. And the EI is for emotional intelligence. So me, myself and EI, a a big emphasis on self and obviously EI, emotional intelligence. So let me know what you think of that. Hopefully it makes sense. I, I want to get something punchy that people might wonder what that is about and then check it out that's the goal so love to hear if you think that's a good title um that's what i've landed on after lots of pieces of feedback from others and advice it was actually the first thing i came up with and deviated away from it and now i'm back there again funny how that happens but anyway this week's episode is kind of a prelude to the show to the series because it is predominantly about emotional intelligence adaptability building self-awareness assessing your adaptability and it is with none other than Declan O'Connell been connected with Declan for the last few years he is he has a master's in psychology he is an executive coach he is a consultant focusing in on high performance for individuals and teams and as you'll hear he loves developing people in individual and teams settings we had a really really good chat he came to my studio here first person that's been in it since it's properly been done up and we had a face-to-face conversation sometimes they're definitely the best in person this was recorded probably a week or two before the COVID-19 takeoff here in Ireland so we were still able to talk to each other in person and uh, we didn't have to practice social distancing although we were probably two meters apart I really learned a lot from this I took a copious amount of notes from the listen back and from the edit and they're in the show notes so you can check that out talking about adaptability humility curiosity key areas of focus for developing high performance in individuals and teams lots of tools Declan shares he's a consultant for MindFlick and they have a profiling tool called Spotlight which I was actually hoping to go on the training at the end of March but that got cancelled thanks to coronavirus but we'll get to do it again in the future if you're interested in high performance if you're interested in personal and professional development and how you could do that for yourself and for your teams you're going to take out some really interesting stuff from this terms and concepts and theories that I hadn't heard of before and I hope you'll enjoy listening to it as always if you could I'd be really appreciative if you rated the show reviewed the show on whatever app you listen to it on potentially join our one percent better slack community on slack where we communicate and chat and i'm hoping to do some kind of live q a stuff on that in the near future and if your feedback suggestions other guests topics that you'd like to hear me cover i will absolutely focus on that excited about episodes coming up over the next while and this one definitely sets the bar high and it is all about high performance after all Best of luck and enjoy the conversation with Declan O'Connell. Good luck.
welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of 1% Better, uh, well into season four. I have a very special guest in my studio today, uh, first person physically recording in the studio with me since I put this properly together. So Declan O'Connell, welcome to 1% Better to whatever this place is, I guess I don't have a name for it yet. Oh, thanks a million, great to be here in such luxurious surroundings, yeah. well, I'm very impressed. Very, very <laughs> delighted to have you and as you're sitting under a lamp that has kind of a spotlight on it, it kind of is perfect fitting for some of the stuff we're going to talk about today in the area you work in. Absolutely. So as I said, it's emotional intelligence and I think there's so much involved in that about leadership, uh, team performance, high performance, performing under pressure, adaptability. Yes. That's a lot of the stuff you kind of focus on. So maybe give us an introduction to kind of the areas you work on at the moment, things you're passionate about, and we can take it from there. Yeah, so, so hugely passionate, uh, Rob, about people and performance. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I could give you the Instagram-friendly job description that I help people realize their potential. Okay. But I find potential. Now, yes, is it? Yeah. yeah. I find it a bit ethereal, though. I, th- I don't think that people can connect with it. Right. Some people think it's a quite a notional thing other people don't want to go near their potential um so i suppose i try to help people solve problems right. and that's how i try to describe it because no matter who you are whether you believe in that psychology piece or not everybody comes up against problems and so i try to help people and teams solve problems underpinning all that is emotional intelligence so knowing that when you are struggling with a problem you're just looking at it through the long the wrong lens Hmm. So can you help develop people and teams, try on different lenses to see if you can unlock that problem? Right. And that's that's principally my role and what I do. Very good. And do, have you found that approach, that way of kind of explaining what you do yeah. changed a lot from when you came out a few years ago doing that? I know we've been talking about in the past, but, yeah. you know, coming out, blinding people with science, maybe with emotional yeah. intelligence is the key People just don't want to hear that sometimes, maybe, yeah. is it? No, massively. And and I suppose it, there's been a huge amount of iterations in terms of my introduction, in terms of what I, what I do, mm-hmm. um, because the word psychology scares a lot of people. Emotional intelligence scares a lot of people because mm-hmm. it's not quite tangible. Right. Um, and it's, it's interesting because uh, I think once you can get that tangible benefit for people, then they'll buy in. Okay. It's almost that piece of what's in it for me. Right. So to explore these uh, scientific concepts and research-based papers around emotional intelligence, it's still kind of up in the air a bit. But can right. we bring it back down to your context and help you physically and tangibly solve one of your problems? Then you get that buy-in. Right. So I, I rename the series of emotional <laughs> intelligence to what's in it for you, maybe. Because exactly. it might absolutely, you know, I'm learning about how to help people better as well. And sometimes yeah. you can come in at, at a kind of an angle that you know very well but it's not easily transferable to just everybody you know yeah and and inherent in that is actually emotional intelligence absolutely so knowing what communication will land with somebody and what won't land so you and me rob probably have a preference of being so excited by the latest research in emotional intelligence Mm. if you go to somebody and blind them with all this new exciting research yeah they're lost already yeah yeah, so it's a case of can you actually um simplify it and that actually is the greatest sophistication as the the quote goes uh so i think that is the real expertise that that we can bring to people Mm -hmm. very interesting you're pulling me up on my low eq already there (laughs) (laughs) i'm joking um so of the areas you're focused on right there's 
I think, you know, looking at your site, there's four more main areas. Yeah. Consulting around performance development, uh, high performance teams and performance under pressure. Those are the four areas. Which are, I suppose, do you have a preference on any of those specifically as a kind of balance and how did how did it evolve to get to those maybe? Yeah, so so background, I suppose, to, yeah. to probably give you the, the, the whole journey. So like any young fella growing up in, in Cork, sports mad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what did I pick in college? Something with the less, the least amount of hours. Right. So, commerce nice okay. 10 hours degree Lovely. allowed me to play sport for, right, for four right. years and then i decided i wasn't ready to leave so i did an extra uh, master's degree in economics and then wanted to play more sport joined the bank right. so a <laughs> nice bank to five job it's a very 1980s yeah. view of like the exactly from that point you exactly have your, yeah, and, yeah. and from my parents generation they were absolutely delighted sure. good solid pensionable job yes um but always had that uh burning interest in people people development psychology mm. and that whole piece of of mindset yeah um and so initially it was through a sporting frame but as my career developed in banking it became about clients it became about teamwork it became about culture mm-hmm. um and then uh, it's it's so funny how um these small nudges make big impacts mm-hmm. it was not too far from here i was renting in douglas and decided that i, I had a winter free to myself and did a, a adult education course in sports psychology right and i was fascinated for 10 weeks right fascinated by the discussions so the evening courses evening in course the douglas, in douglas community. Community yeah, yeah exactly cool, yeah and so did it for 10 weeks and just loved it three hours every monday mm. and it just piqued my interest and it mm. was the following uh september that i signed up for a master's degree then in, in psychology yes. ucc and and since then it's kind of snowballed right so managed to change jobs within the bank to kind of cultural people leadership development piece mm-hmm. uh which was a brilliant um trial and training ground for me to learn my craft yeah. and have since gone out on my own into that consulting world mm-hmm. so when you're asking about my preference between leadership development high performance teams i find that you can segregate all of them but actually i just love working with, with people yeah and I, I, the one-to-one piece is really good because we can bring it down to that context and mm-hmm. then when we're talking about a team or a cultural piece it's fascinating just to watch the dynamics at play yeah. and exactly that how can you make the smallest subtle uh, changes to the environment and watch big impacts uh, take place. Mm-hmm. Fascinated as well, though. Where have you ever kind of looked back and maybe doing values work on yourself? Where the actual spark came from for this kind of understanding why people do what they do or how how to help them? Any kind of yeah. origins? Do you think in it? Yeah, look, an awful lot of reflection done on that. Like, and and it's kind of like that nature versus nurture thing. So so very very. Uh, blessed with my home life and there was always a huge emphasis placed on learning mm-hmm. um and so we were fed with books from an early age and i i you know absolutely loved the autobiography piece f- from early teenage life and finding out about what made high performers tick mm. and of course when you're wearing the the starry-eyed goggles of a 13 year old they become your heroes. So you're yeah. kind of thinking, here's a couple of lessons that I can try to apply to my own life. Right. Um, I think that's where it sparked it. Right. But obviously, as you mature and get older, you're having your own life experiences. So you're reflecting on, well, what's worked well in that context? Yeah. What's tripped me up in another context? Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. you're constantly evolving. Mm-hmm. And then that's supported by that underlying piece about continuous learning. Mm-hmm. So are you going to all these different courses? Are you stretching yourself to chat to different people in different environments? Mm-hmm. And... Uh, can you just have that hunger for for knowledge and, mm. and see where it takes you effectively? Yeah, yeah. 
was it always though i think you might have answered it already but that hunger for learning and passion for growth and personal development helping others when did that start becoming then clear on it becoming a career for you you know so you did the the commerce and the masters but it was really only around the time you did the sports oh yeah well i'd say late late 20s to be honest i mean uh was kind of chasing a sporting dream for early to mid 20s right. uh, and then to, to kind of see about well actually what do I want for the rest of my career I definitely know it's not in the bank yes and so doing that values work what's really really important to me and then therefore what industries would be sort of good for me to maybe tap into mm-hmm. and as I said it was that that initial um, interest in that sports psychology over that winter that just nudged me towards I want a bit more of this. Yeah, so to go yeah. from a, an adult education course into a master's degree. And I remember my first night in the master's degree having a serious, serious case of the imposter syndrome. Right. Sitting in this room where, you know, with experienced guidance counselors and people mm. with psychology degrees. And, and when I came to introduce myself, it was just, I work in a bank and I like yeah, sport. Yeah. And yeah, you're yeah. kind of thinking, I don't belong here at all. But you just find actually that was a huge lesson is that you had an awful lot of life experience and a different perspective to the room. So as the degree kind of played out, Mm. you were getting to see the, the strengths uh, and the benefits of that as well, you know? Yeah. Interesting. Was there a a moment when you decided or weighed up the decision to actually say, right, I'm going to sign up for the master's degree in in psychology and, and, and asking, because when I was doing, my day job and then I did my own coaching diploma I got a coach uh, helping me try to get a promotion and it was kind of during the work I did with him he kind of said to me it seems like you kind of figure this out yourself I'm just you know here did you ever think of doing a bit of coaching yourself and it was like you know a little bit of a aha moment and then when I went into the coaching diploma they gave us the reading list and I had probably read half the books as a hobby anyway so it was like this felt like a cheat almost that now again I was project management and there was a lot of uh, counsellors and whatnot in there already so it was a bit similar but I, I didn't feel that I I just felt almost that I was at home in a way of I knew what I where I was meant to be at that time was there a conversation with somebody that give you advice to go down that route was it a self-made decision yeah it was actually self-made um it was a case where i saw it was really really interested in it and you actually had to do an interview okay. to, to get into the masters and i answered the inter- the most important interview question completely wrong they said what's your understanding of coaching and i said it's absolutely simple you tell people what to do <laughs> right and they said no that's <laughs> not it at all so i don't know what the selection criteria was but i slipped through the net right. but and got into it um but it was a case of again it was that hunger and thirst for knowledge i said you know i had a little bit of a taste mm-hmm. so i really want to explore this and it would be lovely to be able to sit here and tell you that there was a grand plan Mm. there wasn't I kind of knew that um, if I just did the course and never did anything else with it it would be a really really rich learning experience Um, and whatever comes after that let's let's just see but going in consciously it was a case of actually just trying to immerse myself in that world and first of all develop my own self-awareness and then see where it takes us then yeah. after that in terms figure, of career. Figure it out. Exactly, bit, yeah. yeah. Interested to know about when you finished the diploma, you went into the other role in the bank, you started kind of learning your, your craft, I guess. When you decided to step out and go out on your own, 
that's a challenge for a lot of people be in whatever line of work they're doing if they're becoming a consultant or an entrepreneur what were the couple of things you did wrong or mis- made mistakes when you came out in the first 12 months a year that you could do differently if you uh, if you could <laughs> absolutely everything i'll give you a checklist no problem uh but no look i i think it's uh and maybe it is part of that growth mindset piece but you know if if somebody sat me down and told me all the things to avoid i probably still wouldn't have listened to them yeah do you know that kind of way so mm-hmm. i placed real value in gut instinct and 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 uh learning by doing Mm. so i've made all those mistakes but they were all part of that growth process in terms of in terms of going back and and redoing it all again you know i suppose there is a piece around almost like refining what is it exactly that you do um but at the time i was kind of very consciously remaining open so to actually have a bit of experience in a lot of those um, people development factors and then narrowing the focus down to that leadership development, high performance teams, performance under pressure piece. Right. So a- again, yeah, you'd like to come to that point a bit quicker maybe. Mm. But at the same time, I thought there was huge value in understanding, okay, what you don't want to do versus what you do want to do as well. Mm-hmm. During it, did you have any process for kind of tracking the learnings and kind of reflecting on... Yeah. what you did wrong here and try to do it differently. I suppose some of the stuff you'd advise other people to do, yeah. how did you kind yeah. of apply it to your own work? Yeah, so so for me, the reflective log is, is absolute sacrosanct. Right. So no matter what decisions, no matter what projects or what clients I'm working on, there's always that uh, framework for self-reflection and so that constant involvement piece. So when I when I look back and I've even tell, told you the life story there, yeah. it is about that evolution piece, okay. that, that adapting, knowing what's not working uh, is probably more valuable than knowing what is working yeah. um, because I think the, the person sitting across from you or the team that you're working with, they're giving you direct feedback. You know what's landing, you know what's working, but then equally, you know, things that aren't hitting the mark. And it's important to kind of go by, come back, reflect, okay, why did I choose that intervention? What went on? Was it the right tool at the wrong time or was it just the wrong tool? Right. Um, and so that constant evolution piece, I think is really, really important in terms of refining your craft. Mm-hmm. Was there anything that you found extremely difficult in those early days, be it, on your own, be it through coaching, you know, when anyone starts out coaching, you know, some of the things you always hear from people is being okay with the silence or not being able to, it being okay, not being able to help the person backing away. Anything come up around that, those areas? Massively so, massively yeah. so, because I suppose we all get into this industry because of a burning desire to help people, mm. knowing that when you're trying to help people, there's a sweet spot to that. Because when you're trying to so hard to help the other person, then whose process is it? Yes. Is it all about you or is it all about the other person? Mm-hmm. So there has to be a strict boundary there between how much you're willing to give and how much you're willing to, to back off. What's really landed for me over the last number of years is this concept of non-attachment. So really understanding that you know yourself, you know the process that you're going through, mm-hmm. but you're not attached to any outcome. Mm-hmm. So the person across from you changing careers or making a life changing decision, that's theirs. It's, it's not yours. Yeah. So I think that's been a really, really, um, powerful sort of shift actually in, in my outlook on, on coaching. Okay. Very good. So maybe we'll talk a little bit about some of the work you're doing more now. And as it relates to individuals and teams in the EQ framework, we talk about interpersonal and 
intrapersonal, right? So they're looking internally, the self-awareness, and then they're looking with the, the teams that they, they work with. How has was that become your major focus? And maybe talk a bit about the work you're you're doing in that space. Yeah, so I suppose uh, very lucky early on in my consultancy, I got uh, linked in with a crowd in the UK called Mindflick, and mm-hmm. they're a, a collection of uh, sport and performance psychologists mm-hmm. and they've built out a framework from all their years experience in elite sport and in corporate consultancy as well um, and with that framework I found it to be such a connection with my own values that it's something that I've kind of used now in my own practice mm-hmm. and it is just about that self-awareness piece so knowing uh, your own preferences right. where are your where do your strengths lie where do your motivations, your drivers lie? And then when do your strengths tip over to becoming weaknesses? And then where are your blind spots? Right. So if that's our number one starting point with an individual or a team, that can be massively powerful depending on where their self-awareness journey is. Right. Um, because then what happens is that you have a total appreciation for where your strengths lie. And then you have an appreciation then for there's actually development areas here that you can take your performance to the next level. Okay. On a team basis, it's quite interesting in that when we understand our own preferences, um, that we can start valuing each other a bit more. We now know what you're bringing to the table. You know what I'm bringing to the table. Mm. We can appreciate each other a bit more. So I think step one on any sort of uh, journey like that is is that self-awareness piece. Okay. And maybe just for folks that are hearing self-awareness, and I think I read recently that 90% of people are convinced they're very self-aware, but 10% are probably are the rest of them actually aren't so you probably invert that in your own self-awareness journey you mentioned values how did you kind of figure out what your own value set were had you your own process to kind of get there that you know obviously takes a lot of reflection yeah so so lucky enough um the the master's program in ucc was hugely hugely focused on that self-awareness piece right so again it wasn't that ethereal theoretical research framework there was an awful lot of uh self-reflection logs and i remember doing one for the first time going this is really, really hard. Yes. Like, you know, never had to be that introspective before. And then it became a matter of course. It's like any skill. It's a practice element of it. Um, Even video and coaching sessions, looking back, Mm. reflecting on that again is for somebody who's coming to that for the first time, hugely powerful stuff. Um, And so really I I would be very thankful to the, to the learning methodology that's in there to say that actually it gave me a huge sense of who I was. So when you're coming out at the end of the program, not only do you have the piece of paper, which is, which is grand, but actually, you know, who you are, what you're about, where your strengths lie, where your weaknesses lie, where your blind spots you you need to cover off with. So I think a, a, brilliant launch pad to step into the world that you have done two years of that real rich uh reflective um practice right so doing that again bringing it forward to the spotlight in my like it sounds like that has really given you already a foundation for what mindflick and spotlight is focused on it sounds very similar really but it's done in a shorter time frame and it's done more with organizations and sport yeah absolutely yeah so i mean i suppose number one what you're trying to do is you're trying to develop a sense of humility in individuals and teams just once you unlock that piece that there's no monopoly in reality that there is other ways to see the world i think that's that's a real rich learning piece for for any sort of individual or team um 
And as I said, that would really align with my own values piece as well. And so once you get humility as that foundation, that bedrock, then you can tap into curiosity. So when when you're uh, in that zone, now I'm curious to see how you see the world because it's different to how I see the world. And with that sort of collaboration flows, solutions flow, and, and you're seeing that performance being elevated to a higher level. Then at the top of the pyramid, then you're just seeing that celebration and amplification of diverse thinking and, and diverse diverse behaviors. So with that, I suppose, again, there's a framework in there just to allow um, individual and teams just, just take their performance to higher levels. Okay. So the vulnerability piece then, or the humility you, you mentioned, how, I suppose, if people are listening, they're probably saying, ask them, how, how does one become a bit more humble or, or vulnerable and and for it to be okay to be that way is there techniques that you go through in in the training to kind of help with that so so i think what we do is is um you would have seen the behavioral styles framework it's quite common so and it's as old as time like i mean uh, is that disc or one of those like that so there's a behavioral styles framework within spotlight called flex okay so one of the underpinnings uh of spotlight is one it's based on the the science of adaptability Mm -hmm. hence the acronym flex right um and then uh with flex you're looking at four different behavioral styles so it's asking you are you more task focused or are you more people focused? Right. So, so how do you make decisions? Are you more a thinker or a feeler? Okay. And then what's your world like? Are you more sort of internal focused, that rich internal world or external focus? So need those external stimulus. And with that, you have four behavioral styles, forceful, that real action orientated piece, logical, more internal, process driven, <laughs> empathic people caring and expressive, that outgoing right. social piece. So hum- the humility piece you asked me about, they're basically lenses in how you view the world. Mm-hmm. So by asking people pointed questions to pull them into different areas of the framework, you're beginning to see that there's different ways to see the world. Right. Um, and so I know that if you're talking about something through a forceful frame and you're struggling with it, by asking you a question that makes you tap into the logical side of things or makes, makes you tap into the empathic or the expressive side of things, I'm now developing your your ability to see that there are other ways to see the world. Mm. And I imagine that's uncomfortable for, really for uncomfortable. people that yeah. are, you know, you've probably seen people to say, I'm very empathetic or I'm very humble yeah. or vulnerable, but it's very obvious that, that they're, they're probably not, right? Yeah. And this is shining that light in a way, I suppose, making them uncomfortable. How... How do you kind of help them be comfortable or yeah. more comfortable with it? I think it's it's all about the, well, I suppose a fundamental part of coaching is that rapport building. So making it safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is just the empowerment of the framework means that there's no blame attached to anything. It's saying that this is here to solve a problem. So one, again, one of the sort of the core uh, principles of, of Spotlight would be that it's a strengths-based tool. So you know that if you are in your sweet spot, things are flowing for you. You don't need my help. Mm-hmm. If things aren't flowing so well for you, if you're encountering problems, well, you're probably just overdoing your preference. Right. And so you're experiencing the downside of that, uh, of that value, that, that strength. Uh, and so what we're doing then is just allowing us a framework to problem solve. So, you know, if you're looking at the world through a forceful frame, you're going to see every problem through competition, through ambition, through driving standards, all that piece. But actually, if you were able to drop that frame and tap into one of the other frames, that's where the solutions uh, generally fall out. Mm, Interesting. So what went off for me there is the different frames. 
yeah. if somebody's naturally in one of the frames, yeah. is it harder for them to look at through, through different lenses than, than another? Uh, you know, so if you're saying if somebody's in the forceful, are yeah. they very rooted in that and it's more difficult to get them to look at other things versus somebody in another frame that be it might be a bit more naturally um inward feeling and sensing yeah. that they can things look at things differently then is is there within those profiles what what is how does it play out and how easy yeah. it for for certain ones to adapt yeah so so really i suppose the whole thing is that we're we're much less interested in where you start Mm-hmm. So where your starting frame is, mm-hmm. we're far more interested in where you can get to. Right. So what's really empowering about it in through all their research around elite athletes and, and uh, you know, CEOs, you know, there's no sort of overload. There's no to say to be a champion, you need to be in that forceful frame. Okay. They start from all the four frames, but then it's a case of when are they be able to adapt and shift uh, and so I think when you're talking to somebody with a problem, you know that they are struggling to adapt. They're struggling to shift. Right. And by being able to just gently move them around that framework, that's when you, that's when you find success. And that's when you find high performance by being able to shift and adapt. Okay. The challenge with some of that I find is yeah. the, um, being aware, you know, when you're doing the training, you're doing it, and afterwards, that CEO might be a month later yeah. in in a meeting, and they've forgotten some of the maybe triggers that they're flipping into that, and they're just, I suppose, a lot of impulse control is gone or whatever. Is there tools or ways for them to bring themselves back into the moment to notice I'm actually slipping into the wrong quadrant here? How can I do that? What 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 maybe? Uh, Things do you help them with to, to kind of notice that? Yeah, I think if, if it's in a team environment, I think safety is really, really important. So being able to share each other's profiles is really, really important to say, here, listen, this is me in my sweet spot. You'll see it. This is me when my sweet spot is slightly stepping into a weakness. So call me on it. Right. Tell me when I'm actually just tipping over the edge here. Yeah. So, so can you actually use almost that body system in, in a team yeah. position, knowing that we're all human, we're all fallible. It's mm. impossible to stay in that sweet spot for a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. In terms of yourself, it's actually about, uh, that self-regulation piece. So a real core part of emotional intelligence yeah. is actually just being able to, being able to judge the mood in the room, being able to judge the communication and being able to have that that thoughtful practice to understand that if I need to land a message, can I spend a small bit of time thinking about how I might craft it rather than just default natural style and one size fits all. Mm, diving in, which tends to be probably the more likely uh, approach. I've, I'm looking forward to doing the course, right? So when we yeah. put this out, I know if we've already done it, looking back, I'm sure it went well, but uh, you have yeah. up, lots, lots more coming up over the year. I've just finished the, um, the online assessment or there's yes. the, the uh, questionnaire. I don't know if the right terminology yeah. that's based in a lot of research. I would imagine is there, do you know much about how that's put together the data that they've used for that? Yeah. And this was just like any assessment in, in EQ frameworks. Is it different to others that you're aware of? Yeah. So, so the, the behavioral studies that we just talked about the flex, so that's based on the big five personality traits. Okay. So it's fairly rigorous. rigorous it's it's right. one of those ones that have lasted the test of time. Right. And there's a huge amount of, of personality research behind it. What's different about spotlight is that, that it does, 
talk about adaptability. So rather than just being fixed in, in one of those quadrants, we know that if you analyze social psychology over the last number of years, it'll tell you that um, your personality is shaped 70% by the environment. Okay. So that's why it's important to be adaptable because of right. course you're all of these behaviors. So that's one piece. The second part that we hadn't um, picked up on was Spotlight also looks at what's driving the behavior. So if you look at that um, iceberg model, so it's very clear to pick up on an observable pattern of behaviors above the iceberg, mm-hmm. but we don't really know what's driving it. Right. So it also looks at mindset. Mm-hmm. So it looks at this theory called reinforcement sensitivity theory. And that basically is a, um, a study done on the reward and threat sensitivities in the brain. Okay. And so that basically um, gives us, again, a profiling tool to see what's your, your preference in terms of mindset and how okay. is that driving your behavior. Mm-hmm. So with that, there are two pretty rigorous um, research papers to back that up. Right. And then what's, I suppose, most uh, gratifying because that evidence-based um practitioner uh, is quite important to me is that um, MindFlick have also done validated research on the tool. So it is statistically valid. It's gone through uh, research papers. And again, it just adds that level of authenticity that's out there. Right. Very important, I guess, to have that statistical significance in there, right? Yeah. Yeah, hugely so, because otherwise you risk the the challenge back of this is just like star signs. Yeah. Do you yeah, know that yeah, kind of way? So, yeah. so for me as a practitioner, evidence base is really, really important. Mm-hmm. And I think if you were to stand behind a rigorous uh, performance program, I think you, you need that for authenticity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, again, it just means that you're able to stand up and confidently deliver your, your message effectively. Yeah. Very interesting. The whole area of mindset mm. Carol Dweck, isn't it, is where yeah. it kind of originated from. So like what, what areas within the, the work of Spotlight is there around mind, mindset and do you dive into it? Do you look at tools to change that? Anything you can yeah. share on that? So it's, an, it's another framework, basically. So okay. it looks at your, your, your sensitivities to both reward and threat. Yeah. And it uses the acronym COPE. So okay. how, do you, how do you cope better under pressure? How do you cope with your decisions? How do you cope with stressors? Right. Um, and we know that all of those are very, very um, key and important to performance. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you take them through, so the contained mindset, C, so that's basically, can we be cool, calm, measured, right. optimistic? When do we need to tune into reward? Prudence? When do we need to look out for threat and engage? When can we be really tuned in and see what's shifting? So again, it, the philosophy behind it is that we're much less interested as to where your preference lies mm-hmm. and more interested in where you can actually tap into when the need arises. Okay. So all four of those are hugely valuable towards performance right. and, and to, to reach that high performance on you, you're going to need to be able to tap into all four of those when the context. So if arises. right now I said to you, which one of you, if you were to say that you're in an interview, you're probably, yeah. you know, at the point where it's automatic, right? Yeah. You're probably well versed in it. But if you were to say, where would you be in that kind of, is that how you could, could you apply it to this situation? You absolutely could. So, so to my preference mindset of share my profile, which is, is yeah. optimistic. And okay. anybody who knows me, friends, they will see that come across. So yeah. I have this sort of giddy character that it'll all work out. Right. Now, be anyway. that's, that yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that's really, really good. And it's great for a startup business yes uh, and it's served me very very well 
but it also blows me up all the time. Okay. So if I just sat in that optimism, yeah, I would be really placing a cap on my performance. Okay. So at the moment, what I'm trying to be is is contained. Okay. Cool, calm, measured, right. and getting my point across. Okay. I hope I'm there, Rob. Yeah, I think so. we can edit it. Anyway, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then I suppose leading up to this, I suppose there's, there's an element of prudence here. Mm-hmm. So I have to have my notes, have to have my prep work, have to have my <laughs> research piece to make this piece as yeah. impactful as possible. Mm-hmm. So I, again, if you just sit in one singular mindset you're not going to be able to get there. Right. And I think the analogy we always use when we're talking about mindset is if we were to go and climb Mount Everest, mm. could you get there with only one, two or three of those mindsets? Mm. The answer is you probably wouldn't. Right. So you're going to need all four of them at different stages of the mountain to get to the top. Okay. Now we all have our own Everest analogy. We all have our own personal and professional goals that we want to chase mm-hmm. after. And what we're doing is this is shining a light on here you know things that are going to work really well well for you naturally yeah but there's a pot of gold here for you as well that if you're able to tap into that Mm. you'll take your performance to the next level and you you might just reach the top of your own everest cool good analogy so effectively if somebody's listening and they have i don't know an interview coming up or a presentation Mm. coming up or something that is making them a little bit uncomfortable or maybe they're very comfortable about but maybe in 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 they're almost too comfortable about Mm. if they looked at framework yeah. and applied it from those four angles yeah. to be prepared for it better they come in in a more rounded Absolutely. position for it right yeah That's well, kind of- you're looking at the at the scenario you're looking at the situation from a full rounded point of view yeah rather than from just your preferences mm-hmm. um and what's really really empowering about it is uh you can actually challenge back and say pressure and stress is a choice mm-hmm. so Rather than something that's done onto you, pressure and stress becomes a choice because here you have a framework to navigate your way out of pressure and stress. Mm -hmm. Then it becomes down to a thing of, well, are you willing to go there? Are you willing to accept the the consequences of pressure and stress? Mm -hmm. That can be hugely empowering for people. Yeah. So as a, as a, as a prep, knowing you're going into an environment where there could be pressure and stress, you can do your homework beforehand to be, Mm -hmm. is that how you're looking at to be less stressed or less pressure because you're more confident with the work you've done? You'll be in a more comfortable position. So the whole thing is that you put the two frameworks together. So if I was to give you my profile on the flex framework, I come across as expressive, hugely people focused, Mm -hmm. really uh, interesting connection and and kind of that social animal piece. And then the optimism piece uh, is my mindset. So that's my combination. So expressive optimism works really, really well when I'm uh, presenting, uh, when I'm in front of a team or in front of individuals, because it means I can build that uh, connection. It means that I can give that bit of positivity. So where that gets overdone is sometimes I, I, miss the sort of the the, the small details mm-hmm. and sometimes i'm overly optimistic so it can take uh blind risks mm-hmm. so if you're to use those two frameworks what happens when i ha- when i get under pressure i tell everybody how busy i am right. and then i'm seriously under pressure i have got a million and one things to do mm. and i get quite emotional about it right and so if i was to look at my the least position where i go to in the spotlight framework is logically contained Right. So to maneuver myself out of pressure, what do I do is I sit down with a notebook and I write down my to-do list. So being very contained, facts and figures, mm-hmm. what's there actually there to do? Right. And then logical, just plan my week. Right. And so it's not the natural place for me to go. I hate doing it, mm-hmm. but 
that's a way for me to engineer myself out of pressure. Right. So it becomes that that choice piece again, which yeah. is quite empowering. Cool. Do you find that gets easier the more you do it then? Mm. That part, or is it always that Sunday night, oh, should I have to do this for half yeah. an hour here to pre- prepare my week? Has it, has it improved? Is it a skill you can develop? Absolutely. So it's back to that uh, duet growth mindset piece right. and and tapping back into that, uh, the evolution of social psychology, which says that, uh, personality can actually change with volitional effort. Right. So if you want to work on something like that of being more logical, then absolutely it's a practice, it's a skill. Yeah. So the more you do it, the more effective you are at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so again, quite empowering because some people come at the frame of, well, this is just me. This mm-hmm. is my personality. There's nothing much I can do about it. Right. Actually not true that with volitional effort, that that piece can yeah. actually shift. And it's momentum building then really, isn't it? Exactly. Like you can see the compounding interest of it improving yes. and it all gets a little bit better as you go. I, Interesting stuff. I dare not say 1% better. Uh, I, I, I've <laughs> said it too many times on yeah, this, so I yeah. left it out, I left it out on purpose there. Um, that's a lot of individual reflection and development, but yeah. bringing it to teams then, right? So yeah. how can, uh, I suppose, how can you improve teams? And I, I did a lot of research and work on, you know, the idea of a group versus a team versus a high performing team mm. and how they're different. Um, just from your perspective, working with teams, maybe talk a bit about that and how this can help with the teams. Then. Yeah. So in terms of profiling a team is quite interesting <laughs> because, uh, I suppose anytime you go into a sports environment or a corporate environment, you normally have a performing team. Right. So they're performing at some level. Mm-hmm. What you're trying to do is you're trying to blow the doors off in terms of where can we actually get to here? Mm-hmm. And it's back to that self-awareness piece as being the bedrock of it. Um, and an interesting story just on that cope framework. Um, one of the uh, pieces of work that I did with a tech startup last year, we were profiling mindset. Right. And just before I went into the room to do the bit of work with the team, now they'd grown massively over three years. Um, there was five on the leadership team. And just before I went into the room, the managing director caught me with the elbow and said, there's one guy in the room and he's, he, he could derail the session. Let me deal with him. Right. Said, okay. Fine. Um, and so when we got to the profiling piece on mindset, what did we see? We saw four people in the room on that optimistic side of things. Mm. And we saw one lone voice on the prudent side of things. Right. So who do you think the guy was who was going to blow up the session? He was wrongly labeled as the prudent guy. Mm. So when we were able to unpack what that actually meant was that because there was that four optimistic mindset at play, it meant that the team was very comfortable taking risks, was growing massively, was hugely optimistic. And then there was one lone voice saying, hang on, guys, we need to think about this a yeah, bit more. Yeah. And through the session, what actually came is he became, rather than the pain in the ass, became the most valuable person in the room. Right. Because he was seeing things that they weren't seeing and was potentially going to stop the company from blowing up. Yes. So from a team perspective, that self-awareness piece is Mm. massively important. Yeah. Because bias comes probably massively Mm. in there that those four were probably, I don't know, potentially looking at this guy as a holding them back, right? And maybe because they're working closely together, there's this unconscious bias that, that he's not maybe mm. adding value. Yeah. And it's to unravel that, as you said, the, the, the self-awareness work is so important from that perspective. Absolutely. Was there anything specific tools wise that, that they had to do to kind of help 
unpack that in the session is there anything that comes up there yeah so i suppose one of the concepts we use with the um with teams is this concept of the empty chair so amazon's empty chair basically yes, yeah. so what's missing from this team what what are we not covering when we're when we're just naturally talking um and so obviously i was talking about that team of five four on the optimistic side one on the prudent side actually had to maybe just step into both contained and engaged as well to make sure the team was making that fully you were decision. jumping into that role so basically for, it was, i was helping session, them yeah. basically to cover off that blind spot and very okay. very simply it just meant that can we have a couple of priming questions at the end of every meeting agenda right to force them into those spaces to make sure that they're covering off those angles to make sure they're making more rounded decisions mm. if a leader in, so the leader in that team was the the leader in that team as well or were they all at the same? Like no, there was, the the, there was managing team. director and the leadership team. So he was, was, he was part the perceived of leader as well. Correct, so yeah. the dynamic then, if your leader's there and your leadership team are there, how is Grant, how, how difficult do you find that sometimes for them to come to the same level? Or, or maybe ask the leader to leave sometimes. Is that a better option? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think so. Could, right. Because, I mean, yes, I ask the leader to leave. But what happens when I leave? The, yeah. leader, the leader's back in the room yeah. with their own yeah. biases and agenda. So I think that collaborative process is is hugely important. Um, number one, working with teams, psychological safety is yeah. the big, big thing for me. And I won't go anywhere without having that as the foundation. Mm. Um, Can you tell a mile away when it's not there? Yeah. 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 You ask one question and, and you see people with the darting eyes and the shifting uncomfortably. What would seats. the question be? Uh, basically, if you, if you ask that difficult question about, uh, okay, who's holding the team back here? Right. Because everybody are looking at it through a different frame. Yeah. So can you actually open up and say, well, Rob, I think you're too too slow paced at, at meetings mm. because I don't value your methodical ways. Mm. But now if I can raise my awareness and say, actually, Rob, what you're bringing to the team is, is hugely valued. Yeah. Um, then there's a sort of a disconnect. But if I can't say it, then it'll never come up onto the table and I'll always have that um, wrong view of you. Yeah, not yeah. to say that you're slow. No, no, no. Well. <laughs> I get it totally, but it is there is a fear of saying something to, I suppose, have a negative effect on it. But when when you yeah. don't have that safety, is that like a do you typically go in with setting ground rules in a session mm. that everybody has to abide by? Is there a some yeah, standard starting it, points? It's it's back to my whole belief on the whole evidence based practitioner piece. Right. Um, so I actually try to give the neuroscience behind it. Right. To say that, you know, this is a very, very primal thing. Yeah. That, you know, back in those caveman times, if you did anything that risked you from being ejected from the tribe, it meant certain death. Yeah. That's actually a play in the boardroom as well. Right. So what's going on is when you're asking a difficult question and the brain is saying, screaming, don't answer that question. Mm. The brain is actually saying, don't answer that question or you'll be ejected from the tribe and you'll die. Yeah, so yeah, there's yeah. a bit of sort of humor involved in that, yeah, yeah. that you can actually just uh, bring a bit of playful curiosity to it. Mm. So I think, you know, framing questions of, um, you know, putting on sort of uh, kind of thought experiments, the kind of the de bonus thinking hats, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's just for argument's sake. Let's, right. let's throw this scenario. What might happen? Mm-hmm. And it might just open the door, but what you're doing is you're getting a window into the real life practices that are going on. Mm. How do you get those kind of practices or behaviors to to stay after you're gone, you know, like to kind of make that stick? Like any coaching session or any of that training, it's great when it's happening, but Mm. 
everybody goes back to the day job and the habits kind of, of unless they're broken, you know, over time. How how do you manage to keep the change and the adaptability in, in place? Mm. Yeah, and, and look, I suppose it's a great question because my ideal success is to make myself redundant. Right. Like, which sounds a bit counterintuitive. <laughs> yeah. But uh, if I've done my job properly, then I shouldn't be needed anymore. Okay. And I would, if I'm working with a leadership team or even a sports team, it is about real intensive work, early doors to build that foundation. Mm-hmm. It is exactly as you said about the contracting piece. Yeah. Um, and then it is about having that real healthy tension between challenge and support. Right. So knowing this is going to be uncomfortable, knowing that behavioral uh, change, cultural change is really uncomfortable, but can we support you in doing that? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's remaining that healthy tension. And I think it comes back to relationships though. So mm-hmm. I think once you can build those strong relationships with all those key stakeholders, then you can really sort of drive the agenda. Mm-hmm. And because you're almost like an outsider consultant, yeah, you, don't have to worry about the politics. You don't have yes. to worry about internal agendas or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can ask the question and you can actually just hold a mirror up to what's happening mm-hmm. and you can call that out. Yes. And so sometimes it, it can be really, really uh, useful because I can maybe throw something into the room, something that you've been thinking for three years and finally it's out to the table yeah, yeah. and now we can discuss it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think it is about uh, challenging, supporting, and uh, I suppose really once they start to see tangible benefits, mm. they're more likely to, to continue yeah. it on themselves. And the word trust is always very Usually, yeah. connected in there. And I think emotional intelligence and trust, while they're, they're kind of bed partners in a way, yeah. right? Um, or there's foundations one to the other. Where does trust come into the framework and is there any activities or uh work to to help foster trust or you know break down the barriers to start proper trust coming yeah you're you're gonna laugh at this like but uh one of my first exercises that i do with any team is to try to make them fall in love okay that's not this falling back thing is it no No, not at all no (laughs) i've seen that go horribly wrong (laughs) i'd stay away from that safety for that one yeah yeah so it's uh that professor Aaron Arthur. So over in San Francisco, he had uh, a lifetime's work on human int- intimacy relationships, team okay. cohesion. Uh, you may have seen the experiment where he asks you to go through 36 questions, mm-hmm. three levels of intimacy, level one, what's your favorite <laughs> color? Level two, starting to get to know you a bit. And level three is the, the real core of you. Okay. And then to look at each other in the eyes for four minutes. And that's, Just without saying anything, is yeah. it? That exercise, okay. Yeah. And so that's basically... Uh, supposed to try to foster a romantic connection. Right. Now, his original study on romantic connection, it didn't actually play out, but what it did do was it uh, had a profound effect on connection. Okay. And so once you can get there and it's a great exercise to do. Mm. I don't always do the four minutes uh, staring into your eyes that can yeah. make people feel a bit uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the questions. Right. And what's really, really interesting is that some some groups are so into it and f- think it's brilliant and have no problem answering all the questions mm. versus you go to another group and it's lockdown, shutdown. And it's a really interesting sort of line in the sand and a great um, piece to start with because it just shows you where we're at. What's right. the job or work that we have ahead of us? Okay. And for the groups that are locked down, just don't want to do it, mm. has that been an indicator of low trust in the group or... 
that's the reason they don't want to do it. Yeah. So it's so low trust in the group, uh, uh, not wanting to go there in terms of vulnerability, mm-hmm. and uh, I think low levels of psychological safety. So for me, what it says is that okay, the the the, the foundation stone here has to be about developing psychological safety. So we've we've been talking about uh, emotional intelligence. If I go in with my off the shelf leadership team development package and just want to roll that out for six months mm. grand i might be having a great time yeah, but yeah, is yeah. it making any impact yeah so yeah, i think yeah. it's always very useful just to get in there on the first session let's see where we are mm. and then let's map out the roadmap so obviously you'd have a certain framework sure, sure. obviously but i think um you're talking about impact and you're talking about leaving a lasting impact i think the more bespoke the more tailored it can be for those teams needs the more uh, chance it has of, of landing and of being successful. Mm, very interesting. One other area just on the framework and just some of the tools, yeah, yeah. problem cleaning. I saw that yeah. mentioned. Maybe talk yeah. a little bit about that. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's based on this piece around um, the George Bernard Shaw quote, who said, I learned long ago, never to wrestle with pigs. Okay. You get dirty. And besides the pig, pig likes it. Right. So <laughs> this is really about pig wrestling. And these are that no matter what our preferences are, we invite certain problems into the world Mm. and we tend to get down and dirty with them and we wrestle with them. We all have them. Things that you've been trying to fix for years, things that keep coming back up and biting in the ass. Mm. um, They're all existent in our lives. So what we need to do is clean the pig. And so it's based uh, a lot on the Austrian philosopher Wittgenstein, who says that the limits of my language mean the limits of my world. Mm -hmm. And so if you're taking those two spotlight frameworks, that's basically your language. So, Rob, if you're sitting across from me describing a problem, you're going to describe them from your preferences. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sitting here. I'm absolutely benevolently involved, Mm -hmm. but I'm also quite apathetic Mm -hmm. because I know you're just describing the problem from one frame. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Once we can start uh, getting you to see through a couple of different frames, Mm. solutions start to fall out. Yeah. We're starting to clean our pig. Right. And all of a sudden, uh, again, we're released. Our performance increases. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. No, something's triggered off. I'm just looking at a book here. Where is it? Um, there's this book called Simple Habits for Complex Times. Nice, Have you yeah. ever heard of it? Yeah, I know what you um, And they talk about in that feedback and how important mm. feedback is. And it, it was a similar kind of framework that, you know, this whole feedback sandwich and all yes, of that. Yeah, yeah. But, but really, when you're giving feedback, you're giving feedback on that person from your perspective of how you yeah. see it, as opposed to really inviting them to give I know they're doing their self appraisal and stuff, but it's it's making it much more two way or looking at it from different perspectives to kind of to do that, and that helps maybe individuals come over overcome their own performance problems, I suppose as well. Surely so, so as well, but yeah. I mean again about knowing yourself and knowing your team. Once you understand people's preferences, you can start tailoring your communication towards them. Mm-hmm. So I know if you have a logical preference that any sort of feedback that I give you needs to be quite detailed, needs to be quite analytical. There needs to be a logic and a rationale to it, mm-hmm. and there needs to be a process to it. Yeah. So, so again, um, if I was to just, you know, address my team and give feedback just according to my preferences, mm-hmm. again, I'll feel great about it. 
mm. but has my message really landed? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's back to that impact piece again. And again, yeah. underpinning all of this is that emotional intelligence. Yeah. The one size fits all approach yeah. doesn't, doesn't work. Doesn't work. And, and that fixedness that we've talked about there, that rigidity mm. tends to be sort of the, the enemy of performance, really. Yeah. Because what you're effectively saying is that I'm going to sit in my preferences and I'm going to wait till the world lines up. Mm. Then I'll be magic. Yeah, that'll come around. <laughs> it'll, it'll happen. Um, interesting. I do a lot of uh, emotional capital reports, the ECR. Yes. I don't know if you're aware of that yeah. assessment. And um, I did. I did about twenty five in, in the course of a week recently, and I oh. found just through doing them over the years. But in this week, I was kind of having a session with somebody, reading their report, and it just wasn't adding up. Like this mm. person was presenting. And talking about certain competencies that, looking at the report, were were, were low, mm. but, um, sorry, looking at the report were high, but they were coming across as low. And then something just triggered, and I looked back at the report, and it was actually looking at the wrong person's report. So when I actually then went to the right person's report, it, it all matched up without, you know, so I could really sense the correlation between what was on the report and mm. the person. So I could almost, almost have said, right, this person just without looking at the report would have been on this scale of straightforwardness and whatnot. Have you got to the stage now through your experience with your spotlight that you can, you know, almost just from talking to somebody, kind of place them into the different categories? Yeah, absolutely. You can see it coming through and you can see what's happening in terms of uh, our communication and how you're talking about different problems, how you're talking about your, your outlook on life, that you get a sense of that. I think the real important part, and it's it's massive for me, is not to box you in mm-hmm. because we're, we're rich, complex human beings. We're all of these things. Yeah. And so... Um, it's interesting to see what's coming across the table now and it can make an assessment of that. But knowing then as well that if we're to take that piece about the environment being 70% influential on the personality, knowing yeah. that our chat here in a different environment, different sides of you and different sides totally. of me may come out. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so it's it's nice to be able to, to yes, absolutely get an, a, an instinct as to where somebody might lie because that helps frame your communication a bit better. Yeah. Um, but you need to be careful about, uh, I suppose, this this. Uh, phenomenon called premature evaluation right that you've just basically right. fixed somebody yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and In a way what, it like yeah, yeah and what yeah. you're doing is you're placing an awful lot of limits on our relationship yeah, yeah, and i'm yeah. placing an awful lot a lot of limitations on you as a person as well yeah. in terms of your growth potential sure and i suppose multiple things this idea of sub personalities as well it's you know if you have a personality for work you might have a totally different one doing this Versus, as you said, in the pub or, or playing on a football field. And you might be an introvert versus an extrovert in different settings or, you know, somewhere in between, I'd imagine. Absolutely. And, and the guys over Mindfuck, they always um, reference a really quiet, shy, timid, polite boxer. Mm. And knowing that that is, works really well to him because he's a fantastic, supportive teammate. But in the ring, that's probably not likely going to help him. Yeah. And so when that context shifts this different animal comes out and, and, and a champion comes out and an Olympic gold medalist comes out. Yeah. Um, and that's just showing the, uh, the abilities and the, um, the capabilities of being adaptable. Mm, very, very cool. So as we 
So as, as as you're getting more involved in Spotlight, I think there's from reading on it, there's a Spotlight X coming soon. Is there new stuff coming out all the time in this yeah. framework and from from Mindflick? So that's the real exciting part of it is that it is uh, at this very embryonic stage and it's right. growing quite um, uh, rapidly. Um, so what they do have is they do have that pig wrestling chapter to it. Okay. Um, what's coming out now is a Spotlight Youth. So, okay. so to, to have yeah. that um, piece for the kind of the 13 to oh, 17 year old so market. So needed, like, because there's nothing Massive. done, I would imagine, when I went to school, yeah. like, I think I was probably 30 before I heard the term emotional intelligence yeah. and kind of understood what it was about, you know, so yeah. tapping in at a younger age would be huge. So hoping for it to be really, really powerful that way, <laughs> uh, to sort of just start that self-awareness journey, exactly the same as you, Rob, before I entered that psychology um, master's degree I, nothing in terms of my preferences and yeah. my emotional intelligence and there's also a piece called spotlight teams which basically uh, puts a metric on how your team is performing so it's yeah. that real hard-edged performance tool for your team yeah um, and that's really for that cutting-edge performance piece um, and it's to be used as a kind of a, a team development plan but also that test retest piece as well yes. so again a very practical element there mm, that's important because i, I doing research on the different assessment tools from a, an emotional intelligence mm. spectrum. There's not much on teams. It's all very individual based. And then, yeah, you can look at each individual's report and figure out how, but if it's a pure team lens, that'll, yeah. that'll be quite unique. I'd say it is quite unique. And it's, it, it, some of the, the case studies coming out of it are really fascinating because, um, there's kind of no hiding place. Like there is, there's a score on psychological safety and there's, right. a, there's a score on the different dynamics mm. and it's trying to build out the safety and build out the dynamics and building a very conscious action plan, knowing that in three months time, this is being retested. Mm. So, so people are on the hook for it. So uh, therefore you're driving performance, you're driving team development. And you're finding like human resources or chief people officers getting very much involved in, in this and that they would tie the score of psychological safety to performance appraisals and, and, you know, I suppose ultimately pay and bonuses and things like that. Like if you're measured at the start of January in six months time, when you do it again, if that's not going up, you're going to be held, you know, as a leader accountable. Yeah. So that's very much organization specific, really, in terms of how they want to drive that behavior piece. Mm. What we're saying is that there's very clear and tangible performance benefits for doing so in this sort of metric driven society. Here's a tool that will help you actually, rather than having it being this ethereal concept of team dynamics and team performance, can we put a measure on it? Yes. And so really it's, it's to make people have a very conscious focus on how the team is actually interacting mm. as opposed to what the financial results might be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Knowing that one impacts the other, but the sole focus tends to be just on mm. financial results output. Yeah. 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 No, very interesting. Sounds like, uh, Really exciting space to be in, right? I'm looking forward to doing the two days even more now. You probably have me read at this stage, so it'd be interesting <laughs> to see what uh, comes out of that. I probably know some yeah. similar myself, but just from your own perspective, always interested in tapping into people that are interested in self-development and learning. Yeah. What's the, the most, I suppose, fascinating thing you've learned in the last six, 12 months yourself that has made you better has improved you anything putting you on the spot there you're yeah looking at me. I'm, I'm <laughs> under the spotlight as yeah. it were uh yeah so for me i i think 
there was two bits that I've that I've probably uh, mentioned in this interview. One was that concept of non-attachment. Mm-hmm. So knowing that you actually have the confidence to stand up and deliver your message and not having the sole focus on outcome. Mm-hmm. So that's hugely, hugely uh, empowering. And the other bit was that uh, pressure and stress is a choice. Now, managing and engineering yourself out of that can be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But it's a damn sight better than suffering with that pressure and stress piece. Mm. So both of those are actually hugely empowering um, messages that have landed for me. And I can see in terms of my own performance, well-being, satisfaction that has just rocketed from those those two key insights. But I suppose I mentioned earlier earlier on that it is constant evolution. So I'd be very disappointed that if I was sitting back in this chair in two years time and I was still at the same level and I had no new insights for you, that would show real stagnation for me. So that optimism that I, that I'm showing is I'm really excited about where I am, but I'm even more excited about where, where I'm going to get to, you know, and that's the important to keep the drive and the motivation absolutely essential. Just interested on either. What, what was there any action you've taken to, to be less attached or to, work on the stress what what obviously the, the stress i think you talked about maybe just pre-planning your yes, week and yeah. whatnot on the attachment because if somebody maybe to draw a comparison like if i was giving a presentation mm. and i felt that the message didn't go down well and i'd have a negative self-talk and mm. i'd feel like shit did i change should i you know so how to 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 take that attachment away what do you do to kind yeah. of work with that so it is it is the evolution of that self-reflection piece that i mentioned earlier so okay heretofore it would have been always about the outcome how did it land did people enjoy it did people get something from it and then trying to link my self-esteem to that yes like so knowing that actually that's not always the case and Mm -hmm. i can't sustainable uh sustainably actually hook a self-esteem on that or my own competence as a practitioner on it Mm. and to actually say okay rather than that outcome focused really being that process focused so what are the things that I'm doing to make sure that I'm on top of my game as a practitioner? Mm-hmm. So that constant rest, recovery, reflection, exercise, diet, sleep, yeah. constant uh, learning, constant reflection, uh, and the preparation piece that I men- mentioned earlier, um, that they're the pieces that I place my my self-esteem on and, and my self-worth as a practitioner on. Mm. In terms of where the message lands, I'm quite comfortable to go in now and deliver something that doesn't land as, as effectively as maybe I might like it. Mm. But to give the feedback, I said, okay, this is where the team is at. Yes. And, and this Absolutely. can be a starting point. It's a yeah. great self-awareness tool for both me and you as a leader. Mm. Um, here there's sort of recommendations that I would make to, to mm. drive this team forward. Mm. And it's kind of then over to you to see, well, do you have the appetite to actually drive this on now? Yeah. Interesting. Very cool. I just, again, last triggering when, when I kind of give those talks and just talk about coaching leadership mm. groups, or whatever, I've recently started to just with the very first slide, put a picture of the Dalai Lama up and said, he's, uh, he's often been asked, how does he, feel with the expectation when he's trying to deliver a discourse to 2000 people and they all want to be enlightened. And it was from the art of happiness, the book, he said, if he just narrows it down to one person, so he says he has an impact on one person, he feels he's achieved his, so his expectations are lower and it, it takes a lot of the pressure off. him. And I've kind of done that a few times lately and it, it definitely helps because 
it just helps you relax and it's you know you're not attaching your delivery on everybody's you know you don't want everybody walking out there and you know doing whatever you say so yeah and i think you know um we talk about the humility piece like so to have an expectation that everybody in the room will agree with you is completely unhealthy yeah, yeah. and and doesn't show too much humility. Yeah. So knowing that you're never going to get a hundred percent approval rating. Yeah. But that, yeah, you know, yeah. it's a great way of looking at it is can you, um, there's a, a very good definition of life and saying, have you made one person breathe e- easier? Mm-hmm. And if that's that sort of singular focus that you were talking about yeah. there, that's not a bad way to approach life. Yeah. Yeah. Makes life a bit simpler. And again, I think, um, the guy uh, referencing lots of different episodes here at the moment, but mm-hmm. uh, Barry Schwartz, the power of choice, uh, or the it is the power of choice, isn't it? Um, but that again helps so much. Much when he he says just lower your expectations on whatever you're doing, and you'll be happier in, mm-hmm. in, in lots of ways. The paradox of choice is the name yes, of the book. Yeah. Um, great stuff, Declan. Thanks so much for for sharing that. How folks can get more connected in with you learn a bit more about um spotlight mindflick give a shout out to your your uh, ways of connecting and i love your new logo by the way I yes. think that's really really cool it's uh, a lot of optimism a couple in there. of times i had to check it but i now know i can get the whole reading out of it yeah. so yeah so anything on, on linkedin uh declan o'connell on twitter O'Con- at o'connell declan or uh, instagram declan o'connell performance very good great stuff thanks Dec, for coming in Magic. i'm glad uh, we were able to do it Really appreciate it. Loved it. Good Thanks, luck. Rob. Thanks, man. Cheers. Hey, folks. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, could you please consider helping me extend the reach of the podcast that a little bit further? You can do that in a number of ways. The number one way is to subscribe on your app of choice. This helps me with the chart ranking, leading to more folks stumbling across the podcast and checking it out. You could also repost it on your social media channels. Any of them would be great. And maybe even tell a friend in person or over the phone. Pick up the phone, give them a call and tell them about the 1% Better podcast. Tell them about this episode or one that you've heard in the past. Any will do. I would really appreciate it. In the last year, we set up a 1% Better Slack community, which you can join for free. And interact with me and other members of the community and improve through holding each other accountable and sharing monthly challenges. It's a lot of fun. Check it out. I'm into season four of this incredible journey and the more of these interviews and solo shows that I research, record and share, the better I believe that they get and more loaded with actionable takeaways that you can learn from. I know I've learned so much from it so far and it's always really, really fulfilling and rewarding when I hear from you on what you took from it. So do reach out, rob at robofthegreen.ie. And of everybody that listens, 90% listen and enjoy, but only around 10% actually take action, write down takeaways and put them into practice. I am convinced that if we can move that number a bit higher, the listeners will not only make steps forward towards their goals, but they will be more fulfilled and happy and better. Change doesn't happen overnight. It is hard, but it's all about taking the first step, whatever that is for you. You can absolutely do this. Make a plan, be deliberate, take action. Don't overreach. Start with those small incremental improvements and over time you will see great progress. It's all in the pursuit of betterness. 
So again, thank you so much for listening. Good luck and stay safe.